<laughs> episode on Scream. Welcome to NPR. This morning, we're going to be conducting a very calm discussion. Oh my God. Fresh out the oven, it's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm Wade. <laughs> Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week, to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are beginning our new miniseries, What is All This Scream Time Doing to Our Children? Covering every film in the Scream series. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. This new series title really just rolls right off the tongue. It really does. Very succinct, very to the point, just like we always are on this podcast. Exactly. How are you doing, Emmett? I'm doing wonderfully. This morning, I was on Ocean Beach in San Francisco eating up the best waves ever for breakfast. So that's that's how I'm doing. I'm doing especially well today because we are honored to have a special guest as well. She's an actor, singer, dancer, and model, perhaps best known to our audience for being the founding member of the Skeet Ulrich fan club. Uh, please welcome Maggie Jean. Woo! Hello, hello. I'm very, very, very excited to be here. And thank, thank you for being uh, here. Making sure everyone knows my title as founder of the Skeet Ulrich fan club. I adore him more than anyone, period. Has anyone else ever been named Skeet? It's just like alarming to me, frankly, as much as I like him, that his name is Skeet. It's kind of a bad name, if I'm going to be completely honest. Skeet Ulrich is like a better villain name than the name he has in the movie. Not even that. I feel like it's like a bad 90s like rapper name. So it's not his real name. His real name. Wow. Wow. Neither of them are his real name. His real name is Brian Ray Trout. Brian Ray Trout. Wow. Um, It says the nickname Skeet originated from Skeeter, a nickname he was given by his little league coach because of his small stature and because he was fast as a mosquito. Is he a shorty? Is he a short king? He is. Before we get into it about this wonderful film in our incredible new series that we're working on i just want to say bumtober is happening on our instagram story at cinema bums so go vote every day for what series you want us to cover seriously y'all this is the time to be like pulling your people uh getting them on the instagram getting them to go follow this stuff and you know especially vote for the series that you want to win or mm-hmm. perhaps even more importantly, to like dog out the series you definitely don't want to have win, <laughs> which I think is equally important. Do it. Tell your friends. It's it's fun. It's easy. It's a, it's a good way to spend an afternoon and you're practicing your civic duty when you do so. So uh, go to Cinema Bums on Instagram and vote. Thank you. All right. Maggie, what's your previous experience with this movie that you say that you love with a special love. I was born in 1997. So I was quite literally just a thought when this Mm. came out. And I just like didn't get the chance to watch it until like much later in life, Mm -hmm. much later in life. I would say the first time I watched it was maybe like four years ago, Mm -hmm. like very late in life. But like that being my first time watching it, like I was watching Riverdale (laughs) with Ski Ulrich in it. Uh, Before I knew that he was in Scream. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Which is embarrassing. 
but I watch terrible television. I just said I watched Riverdale. Like, I watch bad things, so <laughs> we'll get through that <laughs> another time. And so I was watching it, and I was just like, this is phenomenal. This is just so good, and it shouldn't be as good as it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, even even Wes was, like, the only reason he got to direct it is because he was the only one to take it seriously. All the other directors that they were thinking about doing were only going to make it a comedy. Mm-hmm. It just kind of, like, it sets the whole movie out in front of you. There's all these bits throughout the whole movie where it's like, well, you know what happens in scary movies, and then it happens. Like, that shouldn't be good, but it is. Yeah. And also, again, Skeet Ulrich and Matthew Lillard. My, mm-hmm. would I like to take a trip to Paris with those two? <laughs> Emmett, what about you? What's your scream history? Um, well, we had watched it last October. That was the first time that I'd ever seen it. So I also came to it much later. It scared the bejesus out of me the first time around. I thought it was like going to be funny. And then it was horrifying, but also great. And I loved it. That's like kind of how we got the idea that we wanted to do this series is like waiting Wade and I both love them. So yeah, Wade, what was wasn't that the first time you'd seen it as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is really funny, but I was also expecting it to be less scary or less like full on than it mm-hmm. is. I think we even like suggested it because listeners to the podcast may not know this, but if, if I can pull back the curtain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, Emmett watched Midsommar and he's spent the entire two years since then just trying to reach the high that that movie gave him. That is so whenever, true. <laughs> totally same. Whenever there is like any anything horrors in the picture, Emmett's always like, "No, we got to watch the real stuff. We've got to find like whatever is darkest and scariest is what I want to watch." So I feel like we had actually even like picked Scream as a compromise because Emmett was yeah. suggesting something else that was probably actually less scary than this movie. Yeah, I think I was suggesting Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is less scary than this mm-hmm. movie. I would totally agree. <laughs> But yeah, it really stuck with me. That was the other thing. Like, it's so much fun to watch, but then like a lot of the ideas and especially like a lot of sort of the last half an hour, like really stuck in my brain, which is why we jumped at picking it for our Halloween series this year. Well, it's just like, it's so good. So it was actually supposed to be called Scary Movie. Mm-hmm. This was this movie was supposed to be Scary Movie. And which so it's all about. like very serious satire if that makes any sense like it very much is like again here's how scary movies work we're gonna give it to you and you're still gonna be surprised the ending is brilliant i had forgotten how much of like the third act is them watching the 1978 halloween Mm -hmm. and like everything timing out to like the exact same time as everything happens in that movie I feel like other things, I don't know, maybe I'm just thinking of Deadpool, but like other things that are like super self-aware and like calling themselves out as they do it, I feel like normally don't work as well as this does. I don't think Cabin in the Woods works as well as this movie does. Yeah. And I think that's like another example of that that is like better than Deadpool, but still not as good as this. Hmm. Because there are still no fourth wall breaks in Scream. Yes. Like it is very self-aware and it is almost like everyone is in on it, but it, they still play with it. 
But it also feels very real because we live in a such a society that is like inundated with all that stuff that if somebody was going to go and actually go on a murder spree, those people would have watched a lot of those same horror movies and like like would have that in their awareness. Mm-hmm. And like you wouldn't you wouldn't not make reference to slasher movies if you and your friends were experiencing something very much like a slasher movie. So it like makes it almost makes it feel more real in some sense. I mean, we all make jokes about which one of our friend group would die first in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. all have that conversation. We all ha- talk about what would you do in a zombie apocalypse? Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. do the same thing while they're watching the Halloween. And so they're like, you know, you can never say I'll be right back because if you do, you'll die. Or you can't, you have to be a virgin because if you have sex, you'll die. Stuff yeah. like that. Like, we've all totally said that. It's also very funny because it's like the 70s horror is about like this unknown terror that like strikes in the middle of suburbia and like kills you when you least expect it. But the 90s version of that is being so self-aware that you can't believe it's happening when it's happening. (laughs) It's like the horror is so known that you don't believe it until you're already dead. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's mm. like kind of a commentary on that 90s attitude thing, too. I feel like that we've brushed at uh, in different uh, series that we've talked about. Wade. It's also very much like main character energy in quotations, mm. because I mean, horrible things happen every day, but we never make it personal. You know, mm. we're never like, oh, that could ever be me. And so yeah. that's why people mm. joke and play. And that's why we watch horrible things as entertainment. And so it's just like the aloofness of like main character energy with these literal main characters. It just, it plays out so well. Yeah, it really does. Maggie, you said that there weren't any fourth wall breaks, which is true and is good. But the moment that like almost felt like we were about to get one to me is when it's right before the sex scene where Skeet is like, it's all one big movie. We're all in one big movie. Yes. And that moment is like very haunting to me too. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is like scary or funny, but also kind of sad mm-hmm. mm. and in like a very real way. It's also a totally different movie watching it a second time, or at least it was to me. Like everything I was picking up on was completely different knowing who the killers are the whole time. Yes. And that's like, maybe that's what I what I was saying is like, it gives you everything the whole time. It lays it out for you. And this beautiful, perfect little horror story map. Mm-hmm. And you hit all your little checkpoints all the way through. And then you're still surprised at the end. <laughs> and it is so obvious that it's at least Skeet the whole right. time. The whole time, yeah. Well, is. that's how I felt knowing it. But when I watched it the first time, I didn't, didn't know. know. I was like, that's, who yeah. is it? But like when you watch it the second time, you're like, how did I even mm-hmm. miss this? It's almost like it, it was too obvious, so it couldn't be. Yeah. And then it was, it blew your mind twice as hard. Yeah. And then throwing Stu in there too. That one was just fun and good. I think the fact that there's two of them is a pretty cool twist as well. That's kind of like the big twist because you think that it must just be one person the whole time. Yeah. And there's like hints that it could be all kinds of different people. Well, there's one scene where Ski is like, what other proof do you need that it's not me to Sydney? Yeah. Mm-hmm immediately after we have the other ghost face costume guy show up mm-hmm. oh, and it's just yeah. like too perfect 
too perfect, yeah. but that's whenever we first realize that it's not just him. I couldn't remember if the first time I really thought that he was dead then. Mm-hmm. Because this time I was like, oh, it looks it they it looks so different from the other deaths. I mm. totally I it definitely worked on me the first time. And mm. I was watching it with our friends uh Emily and Evan. And Emily was watching it for the first time and it definitely worked on her too, because she audibly gasped when he comes back and was like, What the hell is going on? So I think it works. It mm. definitely worked on me. After like when I watched it the second time, I was like, There's there's no like bullet holes in his shirt there's no like mm-hmm. or knife holes or whatever right, right, right. And I was yeah. like, well maybe that was just a bad costuming choice maybe that was a bad props choice <laughs> like that's just how i like threw it off and i was like oh wait no it's because he's not dead <laughs> i try to give them credit where i can what can i say everything is like i feel like everything in this movie is so smart they mm-hmm. wouldn't do so- they wouldn't let something like that pass exactly all right so Wade, can you give us the very brief stats on this film? I will, I will. And we'll talk, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more in like the history of it because it's really interesting. But the the basic facts, we're talking about Scream 1996, 25th anniversary this year. Wow. I think it's actually like playing in some cinemas sometime around for like a 25th anniversary thing. So if you were around any of the cinemas that are playing it, do yourself a favor and see it in theaters. I'm sure that would be wild. Anyone living in Brooklyn, they are doing it. There's a vintage movie theater off the Morgan L. Called Syndicated. Go look at it. It's wonderful. Especially if you haven't seen it before. Although if you haven't seen it before and you've listened this far, then it's already (laughs) ruined for you. But I saw Jaws for the first time in one of those like anniversary movie theater screenings. And that was a lot of fun. That's so much fun. So this was directed by Wes Craven, who is like one of the most famous horror directors. Who else? Like him and John Carpenter. M. Knight. That Italian guy who did all of the slasher movies, um, including Suspiria, the original. Oh, right. The Jalo guy. Yeah. M. Knight is a good one. Hitchcock, I guess. Yeah. He created the genre with Psycho. But all of those, most of those guys do other genres too. And Craven's mm-hmm. thing is that it, he was pretty much just horror. He's passed away. But. The Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, Swamp Thing, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, and The People Under the Stairs. All pretty prolific stuff. Uh, this movie was written by Kevin Williamson. This is his first script that was made. He goes on to do stuff like I Know What You Did Last Summer, and then a lot of TV stuff like Dawson's Creek, Vampire Diaries. Wait, he did Vampire Diaries? Mm-hmm. He created it. And the following. Oh, with Kevin Bacon? Um, yes. It's like an Edgar Allan, Co- Edgar Allan Poe cult. It's phenomenal. I only got like two seasons, but it was really good. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the music is by Marco Beltrami, who we've talked about before because he's the guy who did it for Logan. Oh, wow. And he's like a guy who like kind of only does horror movies and westerns. <laughs> <laughs> the two genders. But the score in this is really good and helps it, I feel like, not feel as aged as like a lot of other 1996 movies. Um, it was released December 20th, 1996 by Dimension Films, which is like the horror label of Miramax. So Miramax is the company that released it, but they had like this other studio name for all of their horror stuff, which was Dimension. And also Spy Films. Kids <laughs> is Dimension. Yeah, I think that's correct. 
I don't know That's why, awesome. but like every every time I watch Scream and I see that, and I'm like, wow, I'm ten and I love Spy Kids. Wait, it has been a massive oversight that we did not put Spy Kids on the bracket for Bumtober. That we didn't just like sneak that in because we should be talking about Spy Kids. It's important. To be clear, we didn't put anything on the bracket for Bumps Over. That's true. So it's really it's really our fault for just not doing Spy Kids if we wanted to. We should have done that first instead of X-Men. It would have not taken quite as long. Yeah, probably would have been better received. <laughs> One hour, 58 minutes, huge success. Budget of $15 million, Box office of $173 million. Adjusted for inflation, considered still the highest grossing slasher movie ever made. Wow. And I think I already said this, but December 20th, 1996, released as a Christmas movie. Love it. So, Emmett, what would you say to the people, what is this movie about? This movie is about Drew Barrymore, (laughs) who's a babysitter. No, just kidding. This movie is... Well, you know, that's the thing. Not to interrupt you, but like... The thing for this movie is that like a lot of the promotion like focused very hard on Drew Barrymore. Well, she was the original Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like most of the trailer was her scene. She was like out doing the press tour for it. And they were like sort of promoting it as Drew Barrymore's movie. And then you go for 15 minutes and then, spoiler, she dies. (laughs) She dies. So this is a movie about a group of high school students in just a regular old American high school who are getting terrorized by a masked killer who is highly literate in horror movies. So the killer will like call the house and ask them to participate, ask their victim to participate in a quiz about horror movies. If they fail the quiz, then they get horribly brutally murdered um, in some like graphic and kind of showy way. It revolves around this young woman, Sydney, whose mother uh, recently was raped and murdered. And that she thinks she knows who did it. Sydney like thinks that she knows who did it. And that that guy's in prison and is about to go on, is about to like receive the death penalty. She's like still recovering from all of that like stuff is weird like her her and her dad are just like still recovering from all of whatever that was and uh then all of this new horrible stuff starts happening in town people are getting killed there's a masked killer on the loose meanwhile she's dating this kind of like skeezy horror movie nerd named skeet Ulrich, (laughs) aka billy loomis who is I don't know. Wade, describe this. Or Maggie, how about you describe this man for us? You you love him, so. So, he, his character, is very much like bad boy cool kid, right? But mm-hmm. not to the point where, like, he does horrible things out loud. Like, he ends up being the killer, so that's mm-hmm. that does suck. But he very <laughs> so, much... So he did do some pretty horrible things. But, like, he doesn't, he doesn't walk around with that, like, swagger. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so he's dating Sydney. Sydney won't have sex with him. And he's like, come on, I just, I need some connection with you. And it's like a little weird, but he doesn't mm-hmm. take advantage of her. He's just kind of weird, little pushy, little macabre. It seems like they were about to have sex. It seems like they've been dating for a long time. Yes. And they were like about to have sex a year ago and then her mom died. Right. 
and they have like not really been very passionate since then Mm -hmm. he's kind of like honestly very much like johnny depp's character in nightmare Mm. i feel like they have the same energy she's she's with this guy and he went like he and his friends are making light of all this horrible stuff that's happening eventually school gets canceled for the day because of because of murders of rampant murders the principal has himself gets murdered and then there's this big house party even though there's a curfew even though there's a curfew and everything, like these kids just like do not give a damn that their friends are getting killed left and right. And Sydney and they're goes. At this, and Sydney, yeah, Sydney goes yeah. to the house party. She goes to the house party. Like she hasn't been in this firsthand. Like then people start getting murdered at the party. Her best friend gets murdered in a brutal scene. Mm-hmm. Other people start like running away. I don't know why they end up... They leave because when they hear the principal was killed... They want to go look at his body. They want to yeah. go look at his body and, like, like they're horrible. They're horrible Horrid. children. Emmett, is there any sort of... Thinking about the principal. Is there right. any sort of award you'd like to give oh, the principal? Yeah, I mean, he definitely gets the That Guy Award. Henry Winkler <laughs> as the principal is incredible. Love, love to see it. And he threatens to gut the children after they prank the school. Yeah. I mean, there's a moment where you think he could be the... Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, he could be the killer. He literally Mm -hmm. puts the mask on at one point. Yeah. In his office. It's very strange. We should should figure out what's going on there. But I want to get to the end of this plot. So all the kids run off, and it's just her and the two killers in the house. But she doesn't... No, it's the two of them. She thinks it's the one of them and that one of them has killed Billy, right? At this point? Yeah. And then it turns out that, oh, surprise, it was Billy and Stu this whole time. She manages to kill them, finally. Outsmart and kill the kill the villains. And all of this, also the reporter who like has been chasing this whole story down and like bugging her about her mom the whole time puts this all together and is also there and like helps save the day as well. Oh, Courtney. So, and then, and then that manages to also, because it turns out that Billy was behind the murder of her mother as well. So it turns out that Leah, Leah Schreiber, my favorite actor is <laughs> off the hook and doesn't have to go to prison for the murder of Sydney's mother because he <laughs> didn't do it. Uh, they were just having a regular old affair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But e- anything okay. else? What am so, I missing? No, no, no. Just you saying that. So the mom was having an affair with, was having a uh, regular affair with Liev Schreiber, but yes. also having an affair with, with Billy's, Billy's dad. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yes. That's like 100%. Okay. And that's yeah. why uh, earlier in the movie, there's Courtney Cox says this, like literally calls Sydney's mother a slut. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's like not to slut shame, but I mean, it sounds like she was occupied. That character is very interesting mm-hmm. because like we don't like her, but she also is kind of right. Her take, like her, what her book is about that she says to Sydney, like the truth of what happened to her mom is actually true. She just doesn't know who the real killer was. Yeah. And I also think it's really interesting that the movie ends with her. Mm-hmm. That we don't see like anyone else after this movie very, very much like the original Halloween ends immediately after they kill them. Yes. Like there is no cut to Sydney recovering and her and her yeah. dad getting better. It is like 
they killed him. The movie is over and you see Gail Weathers reporting on it. And that's like the last shot of the movie. Other than the final jump scare they put <laughs> like right before the credits. And she is, I mean, she is the one who's like heroic. She comes in and saves them at the end. That is true. Well, Maggie. Yes. Scream. Flopper Bob. Absolute Bob. Absolute Bob. I think ahead of its time, Bob. Hell yes. Wait, Flopper Bob. Yeah, Bob for me too. I really love it. Yeah, I liked it a lot the first time and then I thought about it and like watching it this time, I was like, yeah, it's awesome. It's so good. I meant Flopper Bob. Uh, Definitely Bob as well for me. Uh, Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the rewatch. Scared me again on the rewatch. So that's good. There wasn't anything that like scared me that much when I knew what was going on. But there is just still stuff that is like gross and like gory. Yeah. There's more nuance to appreciate whenever you watch it, knowing the big reveal, especially Mm -hmm. as like as film people. Mm -hmm. And so that's it's almost more fun. Like Emmett, you love Midsummer, right? Mm -hmm. Like watching that one second time through and catching all the little nuances and stuff like that. I feel like it's Uh very, very similar. Hmm. Like to be in on it is way more fun to be ignorant, even though blowing your ignorance is the best part of any movie. Yeah. With all of like the film stuff, I I wonder in the new one if they are going to have a film podcast. Oh, if the main characters are going to be doing this, or if they'll have like letterboxed accounts, like That's it funny. is like such an interesting thing that their whole friend group is like the geeky movie nerds. Yeah, but then it also kind of seems in some way like the whole town is because they've got like the whole football team watching Halloween and like reacting to everything that happens at the end. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Listen, props to them for having the nerds coexist with the football team. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Randy, the movie guy, like the movie guy. Mm-hmm. He's weird. He's a bit of a loser, but they were all hanging. I mean, maybe his house just has the beer, but I would like to give them props for that. I actually think this movie has aged like remarkably well for a yeah. teen movie, mm-hmm. especially like there is nary a slur in this whole thing. There is, like, not too much weird gender stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially compared to other, like, high school stuff from the 90s. Yeah. I feel like this holds up way better than most. Even, like, with the subtle, like, not even subtle. It's not subtle at all. But, like, the whole, the virgin plotline. line. Mm-hmm. Sydney's a virgin. Later on, having that be a plot point saying, you can't have sex or you die. And then literally, like, immediately after she is deflowered, mm-hmm. she gets attacked by Ghostface. And then this whole thing happens. That's, like, the final, you know, like, boss <laughs> at the end of the movie. And it was just, like, it was done so well and relatable. You could watch it with your mother, mm. you know? I mean, I wonder if we should do something we haven't done in a little while and just okay. go down the cast list. Yeah, because I feel it. like we all have thoughts about all of these characters and it's like For a sure. big ensemble performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, first build, kind of bizarrely, I've got to say. Maybe he was like the biggest actor at the time. But first build is David Arquette playing Dewey. What? That's hilarious. I do love How him. How do we feel about Dewey? <laughs> oh love <my> Dewey. <laughs> I told you, I watch, I watch bad movies. Uh-huh. Do you know okay. what I know David Arquette from? No. Eight-Legged Freaks. Oh my god, we talked about Eight Legged Freaks a few weeks ago. I We're talking about spider movies. Love that yeah. movie. 
I love him. Fun fact, I was flying from LAX to LaGuardia and a strange middle-aged man came up behind me and bought my coffee. Mm-hmm. And I, as a woman, you know, blinders on, tucked over. I was like, okay, thank you very much, sir. Then I ran away because I don't need to speak to strange men in the airport. We are sitting in the same gate. And I look at this guy and I'm like, wait, no, do I know him? Is this, I, don't, I can't possibly be a family member. They would have said hello to me. And so I elbow this old lady next to me and I go, I'm sorry, that's somebody, right? Because he also had his hood over. He was being sketchy. I'm going to be, I'll be mm. honest. And David, if you're listening to this, take your hood down in the airport. <laughs> and she goes, I think that's David Arquette. <laughs> and I look at him again and I'm like, oh my God, it is. And I go up to him and I said, I'm so sorry. I was afraid of you. But now I know that you're David Arquette. And can I get a picture? Took a picture. And then I told him, I said, I loved Eight-Legged Freaks. (laughs) Wow, what did he say? (laughs) What was he like? He was so nice. I mean, he bought my coffee. And I was like, I got at least a pastry, too. And then I was like, had this whole moment. I was like, I'm the new Courtney Cox. We just had a moment. (laughs) Like, it was was great. It was just also like... (laughs) Like, walking past him, he was obviously allowed to board the airplane first. And then we've Mm -hmm. already had this whole encounter. And then I, like, like waved goodbye to him as I was walking my way to the very back of the plane where the poor people sit. (laughs) He was so nice. He was so nice. Wow. That's awesome. That's good to hear. Emin, how do you feel about Dewey? Did he ever buy you coffee? No, but he's the only respectable cop. (laughs) Absolutely. I was like, why do I like him? Ugh. For uh, him and Bella's dad in Twilight. Mm-hmm. No, not Bella's dad, just him. <laughs> just this guy and no one else. I like him a lot. I think it's such like it's such a unique performance. Like I feel like I've never seen anyone else play like exactly what he's doing in this movie. And it's another one, it's another one of those things where like it is his character is so funny, but also kind of sad. Like, also, this whole thing of him being, like, just 25 and, like, trying so hard to prove himself to everyone else, uh, including to Gail and, like, everyone else on the force. Yeah. The confidence he had talking to Gail. I was (laughs) floored. I was like, this woman, I'm sorry, Gail's out of his league. Yeah. By a long shot. Yeah. Obviously, the chemistry off screen helped. Because this this was like mm. this was the showmance that began their relationship. Oh really? Wow. Mm. They're not characters that people think of very often. Mm. And so whenever they were really hitting it off and he was just working all his moves, I was like, Wow, that was impressive. Very impressive. <laughs> when he says, Ma'am, I'm the deputy of this town. <laughs> yes. There, it's like right after she he tackles her out of the way of the car and like into the ditch, and they're like on top of each other, mm-hmm. and she's like looks over and sees the car and she says, "That's what I've been looking for." And he says, "Me too, all my, my life." life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so, and he's so sweet. He means he's so it. sincere. He's like so sincere, yeah. and 
in this in this world that is just like mean and sarcastic and awful he's like the one like genuinely kind person in the whole movie and then when he looks down at her he's literally like on top of her straddling her and he looks down and goes i can't i'm on duty (laughs) (laughs) it's like showing how serious he takes his job I read, um, which I think clarified a lot of things in my brain, that it was he was written to be like the jock, hunky character. That it was written for like a really big, like Mm. huge, muscly Henry Cavill, like Channing Tatum type actor. Gotcha. And then he just like played the part well enough that it gave it to him, which I think makes it even funnier when he has the lines about like, it's my boyish good looks (laughs) (laughs) and all this stuff. And second, we've got Neve Campbell as our main character, Cindy. I like her. I will say because she was also in the craft. If you guys have seen the craft, I haven't. Oh my but god, Skeet's in that too, right? Is he? I th- think so. I know craft. it came out like right before this movie. Hold on, the craft is um also came out in 1996. It's three girls who are trying to start a coven in high school and then the fourth girl new girl comes and she's like the the fourth element to their group and so they start the coven and then one of them is a mean girl and then one of them is ugly and they do curses and then it comes back times three neve campbell's in it and i feel like she is just like she plays pretty victim very well Mm. but sometimes that's annoying for me Mm mm-hmm because I do, I do want a female character to just fight. And that's why that one moment when she punches Gail in the face is great. Yeah. Like, we all were like, is she going to get in trouble? Like, is she okay? Like, is that going to be a thing? And then everyone, like, Rose McGowan goes like, that was so hot. You're so cool. And I was like, I agree. <laughs> yeah. And I like her. She's just she's a little victim in the face. Mm-hmm. I think this might be, I think this could be a character problem as well Mm. of like, I think there's kind of like split between the active heroine and the damsel in distress heroine of the slasher movie between Mm -hmm. like, between the Gail Weathers character and her character. Mm -hmm. And we're like more on her journey with her. But I think Gail Weathers like does more actively, absolutely, to like to like save their bacon at the end. Yeah, so, I don't know. I definitely agree. Like, I think that she has that main character problem of being the least interesting. Yeah, yeah. In I, but I think she's group. got that Mark Hamill thing that you talk about, where you like believe everything. It's like I'm not questioning that I believe any of the stuff or like any of the stakes of the stuff that she's going through. I'm just like not blown away by it. And like, I think they gave her enough layers to make her just interesting enough Mm -hmm. you know like we have the past trauma of the mom and then we have her putting the wrong guy on death row and then she's a virgin we all care so much about virgins and having sex (laughs) and so like that that was enough to keep us there but it it was just i don't know yeah I, i would agree just main character syndrome i think she's best in the scenes with billy like, yeah. I think she maybe is, like, most comfortable playing against him. Mm-hmm. I believe their relationship more than I believe her and her best friend, necessarily. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, and I think some of the ways she is kind of, like, subtly testing him in those scenes is, like, some of her best acting. 
I also like how much she gets to really like punch and and kick mm-hmm. <laughs> the killers mm-hmm. in uh, whenever they're chasing her. Like both in the house and at the end, I feel like she's a little more physically capable. And I guess especially even since she really does kill them at the very end, like a little more physically capable than they right. normally are. Character growth. But I agree that she is maybe like the blandest of them. I do think she's very pretty in this movie, though. Well, she's beautiful. That is not to be contested. Number three, we talked about her a little bit. Courtney Cox, Monica from Friends as Gail Weathers. She fought very hard for this role. Right, because it's very unlike, you know, everything else she was playing. Mm-hmm. In her words, she said that she wanted to be a bitch and wanted someone to give her <laughs> the opportunity to show that. And I was like, I'll be honest, I didn't think Monica was all that nice, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a good point. And yeah, it isn't necessarily that different. Right. <laughs> from Monica, this part. <laughs> I have such a thing for her is this character. Oh Oh my God. (laughs) I am in love with Gail Weathers. I'm like, I get it, dude. Like David Arquette, I'm there 100%. (laughs) I like, yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. His moment where he's like, ma'am, I'm 25. I was 24 24 for a whole year. For a whole year. So good. (laughs) That is so charming. So funny. Oh man. She's cool. I don't know what to say about her. She does she does the part. And she drives it with direction. Very, very mm-hmm. well. Very clear. All of her intentions are very much like obvious. I would say this is a great acting role for her. Yeah. And she is like rude to people, but she's also like in pursuit of the truth too. So like it makes it a little you're like a little bit more on board with her. And of course she saves the day at the end. So like she's, I guess, redeemed. Mm-hmm. And also she like, doesn't hold it against Sydney that she punched her. She's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's like, yeah, you did that. Like I probably like, she's like, <laughs> okay, like cool. And they just move on with their relationship, like uh, which I think is like, like, which I think <laughs> is a cool thing. I think that that yeah. shows that she like understood it at least. Very human of her. Yeah, yeah. I think she's pretty self-aware, too. Like, what she says, like, has a... What does she even say? Like, a small-town, like, tabloid journalism ever won the Pulitzer. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's kind of doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. But I feel like often, like, bad journalists in movies are doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons. She's right. at least, like, doing actual journalism... And, and she like helpful hard. in a lot she, of ways. She gets that coin. I don't think we'll get to him in like the main cast. So I want to say that I also really like her cameraman, Randy. Oh yeah. Yes. Is the cameraman named also named Randy? Oh no, you're right. What I don't know the cameraman's name. I know there's one scene where she's like, Jesus, if I tell you to run, run. He's like, My name's not Jesus. And that's all I got. Oh, I yeah. know his name's not Jesus. I think he is Kenny. Kenny. Mm. W. Earl Brown is Kenny Jones. Okay, Matthew Lillard as Stu. I cannot emphasize the love I have for the both of them, specifically together. Uh Uh-huh. And I think his his work in this, I'm surprised we haven't talked about him earlier, honestly. He just plays it so good and light and funny. Mm -hmm. And it's just so, so good. And he's just kind of aloof, but still like is, I think he's the glue that holds that friend group together 
Yeah. You know, because like I cannot picture a world where Billy and like Rose McGowan's character would ever hang out. Mm -hmm. We all we all need the fun friend who's also really hot. Yeah, I feel like the scene where he's walking with Tatum and Sydney Mm -hmm. and like interacting with both of them shows, yeah, that he is sort of the focal point of all the other characters talk to him and don't talk to each other that much. Right, exactly. I think he's unhinged in this. In a good way or a bad way? Like in a great way, but it is like over the top. It is like just at the edge of believability. Like someone had to do it though. Like for this movie, like someone had to do it. Yeah, no, and I think he was perfect to mm-hmm. to be the one to do it, and I think he does it. He does it really well, but I think he is like teetering on the edge of like <laughs> what's even believable in the part. Like the part that strikes me the most is like the part where he's got the gun and then he does this, the, like the weird hand thing. Yeah, and right. it's like so unhinged, and I love it. But that, like, that is like the thing. If I could like think of any one thing that stands out out of the whole performance to mm-hmm. be emblematic of it, I would say like that part is really it. I love his that the line is improv actually when he goes, "My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me." Mm. Right before he yeah. dies, yeah, that's another one that kind of messes me up. Like yeah. that is one that like really hits me hard in yes. this movie. When you kind of realize that they are like kids and this is kind of a game to them. I don't know. I love Stu. I think he is the performance of the movie for me. Like Mm -hmm. he is just doing something so unique and his like physicality is so incredible in every scene. Mm -hmm. And you can tell because they have like almost always shot his entire body in frame like you rarely get close-ups of him like you do of everyone else you Mm. can just like see that he is a gigantic man (laughs) who's doing so much stuff even when they're walking he like he picks up rose mcgowan and like throws her around like in a fun way Uh but just like just like picks her up and like throws her all the way around his body and like puts her back down and they catch it all like yeah Sweating, sweating over here in a way that feels very honest to me about like a 17 year old when you have yes. so much energy and you're so horny yeah. and you're just like constantly in motion and constantly picking people up. Um, the moment dude that just flabbergasted me this time is when he's in the video store with Randy, he's always behind people too, because he's so big. He's always like has his hand, his head on someone else's shoulder, mm. like the entire movie. Um, and it's where like Billy and Randy are facing off and Stu is behind Randy playing with his earlobe. Just like flicking Randy's earlobe around kind of tenderly (laughs) while they're in the middle of this video store. I missed that. I was too focused on the fight. For real. There's so much stuff with Mm -hmm. him in this movie, just that he is like always doing something. Uh, And I think for me, at least, totally works. I know that he is sort of like the make or break for a lot of people in this movie, but like. Well, like him, like Emma missing that means it like it wasn't distracting. Right, exactly. It didn't. You know, it just works. It's so natural in the way that teenage boys have so much energy all the time, and especially in a body that giant and Mm -hmm. incredible. It's got to get out somehow. Okay, then we've got Rose McGowan has Tatum. She's hot. That's all I got. (laughs) She's hot. She's super hot. Yeah. She reminds me a lot of Amy from Sex Education. 
who mm, they're fair. I mean, they're both hot they're both kind of like the dumb friend mm-hmm. archetype although she's not dumb no i think dewey is a little more dewey is dumb. a little bit yeah. dopier yeah like she's also not taking things as seriously either though. she's just kind of cool girl she's just mm-hmm. cool girling it up in the world you know yeah yeah like no one really asks anything of her so therefore she doesn't provide anything she does not follow through on the one thing that she's asked to do in this movie. Who's coming over. Which to is to house. come over at a certain time. And she comes over like an hour and a half late. And it right. is like at that moment, the ghost comes and tries to kill her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, li- I'm, I like her a lot. I was really sad to see her go because I feel like she would have been. I'm really interested to see the sequels because like almost every character dies in this film. So like who right. the friend group is going to be in the sequels. Well, who, who does survive is, is interesting. I, we're not talking about who survives because that's in the second movie, right? Well, it seems like at the end of this, we haven't seen the second movie. It seems like at the end of this, that Sydney, Dewey and Gail are alive mm-hmm. and that's it. She's, so that's she's holding something back from us that's going to be like a surprise in the second movie, but but that's okay. That's that's, if that's we what's don't on know. the second movie poster, so that's what we're going to say. Okay, but I bet somebody isn't really dead from Ooh. the previous cast. Well, I'd like to see more of this previous cast in the future. Which is why I was sad to see mm-hmm. Tatum go. I feel like she's definitely dead. <laughs> no, I definitely think so. Too. That was a pretty brutal death. <laughs> But also, when they were filming that, she her body would not stay in. That's not like a prop body. They had her like actual body up there. But because she was too skinny, they had to like nail her clothes into the garage door. Damn. That is the most brutal death to me. Mm-hmm. Although, also when Sydney finds her, that's like the cheapest effect. That's the only effect that looks weird to me. Is like yeah, her like, strange. Yeah, her like plastic face yeah. smashed in the garage door. That's the only thing that looks a little weird to me. It takes like 10 minutes for them to find her. Yeah. Like it happens. No one notices. They do the whole horror movie. This is who dies spiel. And then the principal gets killed and then everyone runs out and then Ghostface tries to start, starts killing people. And then we see Tatum's body. You're right. It's probably more like 20 minutes it's, at it's least. A, it's before. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Weird that none of a, like the entire football team that leaves <laughs> turns around to see her sticking out of the garage. <laughs> no, they're just too stoked to go see the dead principal. Okay. We've got two more here. One is Skeet Ulrich as Billy. Love of my life. Y'all <laughs> watch, watch Riverdale. He is so hot. Wow. He's so hot, and he plays Cole Sprouse's father, and it's terrible. It is really bad. Uh-huh. It's camp. It's camp. Yeah, I love him. I think he does such a good job. He's yeah. a phenomenal actor in this movie. Phenomenal. I am such a sucker. Like I am so weak for the like Dark Prince imagery, <laughs> like the tortured, emotional boy. Just gets me in such a way every time. My thing is, is he goes on this whole spree. He ruins his whole life Uh just because dad left mom over this affair. There's something there with him and his mom. Oh, my God. The way he says that line about like 
took my mom away from me. Like, there is something there. Like, he was already fully latched at the bosom and didn't stop breastfeeding (laughs) until, like, 17. Yeah, that's the vibe. Yeah, no, that's exactly the vibe. And he is the performance, like we were saying, when you watch it back, that you're like, he's doing too much. But the first time, I didn't think so at all. Like, the first time, he totally got me. I don't know what voodoo there is because the second time you watch it, it is so he makes all these sketchy little turns around. He looks here and the zoom in and he's got crazy eyes. Mm -hmm. And then even the first time we meet him or no, the second time we meet him right after the first attack at Sydney's house, the phone falls out of his pocket. Yeah. Well, the first time we meet him, which is right, the only thing we've seen in the movie is that incredible opening sequence. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing we see is him coming over and talking about movies and -hmm. like making all of the movie jokes, like immediately after we've seen the movie killer, basically. Mm -hmm. And he jumps through the window like the killer has done, like just recently. And then it pops right back in is, oh, my boyfriend, who totally could not be the killer. Also, I just like a little like continuity and maybe not even continuity, just realism. We have fingerprint technology in this era of time. (laughs) Yeah. The amount of times they pass this mask along. I know that would obviously ruin the movie. Like you gotta have a movie. That's true. We we developed fingerprint technology and I think in like the early eighties. And I was just I was watching this and I was like, no, come on. Come mm-hmm. on. This movie would also be very different if they had cell phones. True. Because so much, there's like a big plot point that relies on them like waiting to hear back from the cell phone provider right. about right. who has dialed which number from where. I'll be interested to see what Scream 5 does with that. Mm-hmm. How do you do fo- phone related horror in an era of cell phones? Yeah, that's a good, presumably in 4, which is in 2011. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, might, there might be something like that too. Sure, they've got their like, <laughs> they're like chocolates. <laughs> I've heard right. that Scream Four takes place entirely in a in a theater. Oh really? Um, and so it might be no phones allowed in the theater. Well, that's one way. <laughs> that's, that's one way, one way to get way around it. Um, anyway, all of that is to say that you know I don't like Billy, but also. When he's covered in blood at the end, I'm like, I've never been attracted to anyone more than this. Literally, I, my poor girlfriend, who is a masked lesbian, the amount of times I have looked at her and said, I want you to role play as Billy from screen. (laughs) (laughs) Like the climbing in the window, all the way down to being covered in blood. Every, every ounce of it. I, that is, that is where the dedication, like the dedication is so Um, there. I love him. Um, and then the last of the main cast, although I guess we could talk about Barrymore too, but the last build of the main cast is Jamie Kennedy as Randy, the other friend. Who's the other like movie character. Yeah. So we he have works Billy who's like blockbuster. the more ominous. And then we have Randy who is just like, have you ever seen a scary movie, dude? Come on, dude. You know how it happens. And he just kind of, yeah. he's the one that likes like, literally play by play tells us exactly how the movie is going to go. And then we're still like, Oh my God, the movie's going to go this way. (laughs) Whoa. But it works. It works. It works. Yeah. It's funny. He's yelling, turn around Jamie at uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And his name (laughs) is, the actor's name is Jamie. 
he is also apparently he modeled the way that he eats off of the way that Anthony Perkins eats in Psycho. Uh, just what? to like be more unsettling and weird. Interesting. Good for him. I liked him more the second time around. I think he's pretty funny and like I feel like that's an easy character to be so annoying. Mm-hmm. And I think you still like him despite sort of everything that he has going on. Yeah, like I yeah. could see him having friends. Yeah. Yeah. You know. He's also the other one who's like kind of innocent and like kind of proven correct in the end. Like he's the mm-hmm. one who's actively trying to do stuff other than Sydney. He was the one in the in the blockbuster. He's like, no, Billy is the killer. He is the murderer. Done. Set. Yeah. How does he... Do, he gets killed, right? How does he end up... I think he is messed up, but not dead at the end. I think okay. he's like passed out. He's totally fricked. Yeah, he needs to go to the hospital, but I think there's the idea that he is alive. Because he gets shot in the shoulder is the main thing that happens to him. Mm-hmm. By Billy, right? When Billy comes back in. Yeah. Billy takes But then he gets him. back up, and so presumably he's like not doing well, but he got he missed all the important stuff. Yeah, and then I guess the only other cast member we should talk about is Drew Barrymore. Queen. She is so good in this. She's so in the first good. Scene yeah. That's one that is, should have been very campy or it could have been very campy, but we're still like so here for it. Mm-hmm. Ghostface's voice, mm-hmm. right? Right. The actor that does the voice. So it's not them through the uh, it, it voice isn't. changer. They didn't want anyone in the whole cast to meet the actor that played the voice. Whoa. It's Mojo Jojo from Powerpuff Girls. Whoa. Mm-hmm. No way. And another that. fun fact. I, I do love this movie. Another fun fact. Drew Barrymore in that scene, they forgot to unplug the phone that she was calling 911 on. So every time she called 911 <laughs> actually while they were filming... It was like hysterical crying and help me, help me, there's murderer. And the police were like, oh my God. And then she had to be like, wait, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Or she would just <laughs> hang up. And then the police would call back in the middle of a scene and they would have to cut it. And they're like, what is happening? Oh my oh, God. It's, it was a very, why, did he, very... why didn't he just take the phone out? <laughs> I don't know. Because they didn't use a prop phone. They used a real phone and didn't unplug it. <laughs> that poor like 911 operator that night. I was like, there's so many murders right now. Horrifying. No, she does very, very, very excellent in that scene. I accidentally dialed 911 the other morning because I had my iPhone like in the cup holder and I didn't realize it was like holding the side. And it just like, there's some like button where if you hold it for like 15 seconds, it calls 911 (laughs) (laughs) for emergencies. So I was just like driving and then I heard... A woman who was like nine one one. What's your emergency? <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. Camille and I went to a theme park not too long ago, and the same thing happened to her phone. Where like you press mm. on it long enough, and it calls all the police, emergency service services, and it sends a text <laughs> to all of your emergency contacts. Oh, wow. and you know how you can have nicknames in your iphone like Uh you say call me whatever and it's always a stupid name (laughs) and camille's sent this to mom dad stepmom me like brother sister and it said Uh 
emergency services has been contacted. Camille slash Lady of the Labia is in trouble and needs emergency <laughs> services immediately. And oh, oh my god, and the stepmom and dad are all like calling, and someone called the police, and they were like, "Who? Oh my god. Who is this?" And so we were just. She was so embarrassed that we just got drunk and tried not to have a panic attack over mom yelling at us at twenty five. Oh, oh my god, Lord. that's so funny! Accidental nine one one calls. Wait, do you have some behind the scenes drama for this film? I I definitely do. We've talked like through a lot of stuff already, but the origin of this movie, which I want to talk about, because it's just like one of those classic like legend Hollywood stories of like something happening totally correct, was that this writer Kevin Williamson was like an aspiring writer. I guess a couple years earlier, he had written the first scene of the movie because in 1990, there was the Gainesville Ripper. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about this guy, but this is like a real guy in Florida, a serial killer in 1990 who killed a bunch of high school students. Oh, damn. So that was like the inspiration. And apparently Kevin was like watching the news about this guy, walked into his other room and saw that his like window was wide open and that scared him enough that he sat down and wrote the opening scene of this movie and then like put it away and worked on a bunch of other stuff. Oh, it's so iconic. A lot, a lot of stuff with the movie like comes back to the opening scene, like in terms Mm -hmm. of like it being marketed and it being approved by the studio and everything like that opening scene was like integral to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just like a classic story where Kevin uh, apparently like couldn't pay rent or it's like rent is due in a week. He hasn't sold a script. So he sits down for like three days straight and he writes the script of this movie, which is called Scary Movie. Mm -hmm. And he puts it in a package with five page treatments for Scary Movie 2 and Scary Movie 3. So he's like, this thing is going to be a whole trilogy. Here's a script for the first one. And it's the script was like written knowing what two and three are going to be. So Mm -hmm. it's teased all this stuff that we're going to pay off in the future. Which is part of the reason why, even though we haven't seen a sequel, is we wanted to do this because we know that it was like intentionally written like that. How do you feel about the uh, title change? I don't know. I feel like I would also like Scary Movie. I mean, I like Scream. It's hard because then, of course, the studio goes on to make Scary Movie, which is kind of like a parody of this, which is weird to me to begin with because this is also kind of a parody Mm -hmm. and this movie is a huge success but that movie like even does much more Mm -hmm. like i think this is like 170 and that movie is like 300 million scary movies yeah scary movie is like huge damn uh in theaters so i do wonder if they had kept it a scary movie if it would have been even bigger have you ever seen scary movie i have yes i love again is it good bad movies Yes, it's phenomenal. I've seen all of them. Does it does it actually have like a plot or is it just like a bunch of sketches? No, it has a plot. Okay. It has a plot and each one like centers itself around a certain scary movie. Mm-hmm. And then it has obviously jokes and bits and references from every scary movie ever in each movie. Right. Just done different ways. I feel like I might have to watch the first one after we've seen the trilogy of Scream. Because I think it's riffing on all of them. But mm. that I feel like that is like tied into this movie so much. 
They're so good. Yeah, so he writes this. There's and then there's like a huge bidding war for it, which is incredible. Where all the studios wants it gets bought by Miramax, which is headed up by Bob Weinstein, brother of Harvey. So that's uh, an unfortunate, Rip. unfortunate element of this movie. But they they buy the script and they're like, we love the script. We want to do it, but we've got to cut like the opening and we've got to cut like the intense horror stuff. And then they like shop it around to directors. They shop it to all of the classic horror directors, as Maggie was mentioning. And they're all they all like just think it's a comedy, except for Wes, who has like has the actual read on it. But this is at a point in Wes's career, his movie before this. Uh, now I've got to look up what it was called. But his movie before this, Vampire in Brooklyn, is like an Eddie Murphy movie. It's just like a straight-up comedy. And Wes Craven was like, I don't want to do horror movies anymore because they're all misogynistic. And I don't want to be a part of that system. Oh, yes, King! <laughs> so he decided to go into comedy instead because that's <laughs> renowned for its good treatment. Of women, absolutely. I know, I know. That's... Interesting. But also, but the thing that we should also mention is that like there were all these slasher movies we've talked about a little bit before in like the 70s and 80s. But then it was just there were so many of them and so many sequels that it all sort of faded out. So this is like not at a time where horror is big. Mm-hmm. So they don't have a director, but what they get is Drew Barrymore, who just like reads the script and wants to do it really badly and is like really passionate about it. So Drew Barrymore comes to this studio and asks if she can play Sydney, and they're like, "Yes, of course," because up until this point, horror movies don't ever like have established actors in them. Oh, right. Or they have one, and it's like the doctor who's in like three scenes and is like the respectable. It's beginner anchor stuff. To the movie, yeah. Like that's why you see so many awful horror movies. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rare that you have a new horror movie come out by completely all new people that ends up being something. Yeah. So that was like the big change that this movie had was that there were mm-hmm. like actual established actors who wanted to be in it. And so once they have Drew Barrymore, then Wes Craven comes on board because he's like, that's what makes this movie different than anything else is because I'll be working with like actual big name actors and that's what gets people in seats. Yeah, they get they get the rest of the cast. And I think Barrymore has to drop out at like the last minute. And she asks if she can play the opening character. Because they were like, well, that that's not going to be an actor. Like, we're not going to have anyone playing that. And she's like, no, please, I want to be in it. And so they put her there. And that's like a genius move, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that makes things even better. Although mm-hmm. I would love to see Drew Barrymore in this role having her who's like an icon that we know from the time and then like neve campbell who i don't think i'd never heard of before i don't know it's like gives her more of like an every woman vibe you know do you don't remember neve campbell is playing simba's daughter in (laughs) the lion king 2 simba's pride wait is that who it is oh lord jesus (laughs) i try to forget every time oh god (laughs) the deception the disgrace. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's like that's basically how it comes together. It was a really troubled shoot. Like they wanted to take Craven off of it, and then they like cut together the opening scene, which was the first thing they filmed, and showed that to the yeah. studio, and they were like, "Okay, he can stay." 
Why did they want to take him off? They just like didn't have faith in like the stuff that was coming through. And I think they weren't sure. This was another thing. We said they cut out all the stuff. Craven like argued for all the violence to be put back in. And then I think that they probably like saw that first scene and they were like, this is not, this is not funny. This is not a teen movie. This is not what we were expecting. Yeah. And then they like cut it all together. And there was like the school board where they were trying to shoot, like had a whole thing about like not wanting a movie where teenagers are dying to be shot at their school. And so they like had to last minute relocate. I think they had to resubmit to the MPAA like eight times to not get an NC-17, like in order to work it down to an R rating because they didn't want to release it. Is it rated R? Yeah. It seems tame. It Honestly, does. like compared to a, a horror movie, I mean, it is scary and it works, but it seems like gruesome level compared yeah, to stuff I, you would I, see. I guess, yeah. In a PG-13 movie now. Especially since he has a conversation with, uh, Billy has a conversation with Sydney about mm. like their whole relationship being PG-13. Maybe that's why that's stuck in my head. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I know they had to fight like a lot to get an R rating because back then they thought it was like too intense even to be R. <laughs> And look how far we've come. Yeah. Like, obviously, it was a huge success. It was, like, a big word-of-mouth success, too. Because I read that it, I think it made, like, $6 million the first weekend. Like, mm. not much. But then it was just that everyone who went and saw this told their friends to go and see it. And then, eventually, it was, like, a huge winter smash hit. And the other, I guess, the last thing that we didn't mention, which is interesting, is that there was, like, a big argument between the studio and the writer about like whether it was scarier to have the villains have a motivation or to not have a motivation, Mm. like, which is a scarier thing, which is why they eventually went with one of them has a motivation. And one of them. Right. That was a talking point in the movie too. And Stu just goes, Peter Pesher, man. I was like, (laughs) that's so good. It's, it is. Yeah. Just cause, just cause I can. Now we've stumbled upon the section of best kill. Maggie, as a lover of horror film and bad film generally, I'm sure you've seen a lot of gruesome dismemberments and beheadings and dismemberments and stuff. So given this expert opinion, what would you say is the best kill in this movie? Objectively, the most like gruesome is Rose McGowan's is Tatum's. Mm, mm. It's very much like not realistic at all, which sucks. My favorite, honestly, I don't even know if it is considered the kill, but like watching Billy stab Stu a bunch of times to make it look like they were getting hurt. And then whenever Stu is just like climbing around, he goes, I I think I'm dying, man. That one I think is yeah. really good because you're like, you're there and you're waiting. And you don't know what's going to happen. And it's like, is this man going to die right now? That wasn't the point. That wasn't the purpose. Mm-hmm. And he does. I feel like that's a really, really good part that gets overlooked often. Mm. How about you guys? Yeah, Wade, best kill. I think my favorite is the Tatum too. But mm-hmm. it is kind of interesting that that one is like, that and the principal kill are very much like slasher movie, like mm-hmm. set pieces. We're here for like inventive ways to kill people. Whereas I think the opening scene is like very realistic and like really hard to watch. Ooh, in that mm-hmm. moment where she's hanging from the tree, that is really good. Oh, yeah. yeah. And her, him like stabbing and her like running while she's bleeding out and her, mm-hmm. she like 
throat is crushed so she can't scream for her mom who's like right there that that stuff's really dark and i feel like the movie gets back to that at the very end when they're stabbing each other Mm -hmm. and i feel like that is like paying off sort of Mm -hmm. the promise of this being a darker movie than the middle says the one i can't handle is the boyfriend i just like cannot handle disembowelment that is like the thing specifically it's like just seeing the guts hanging out like anytime i've seen that in movies and video games it really sticks with me and that was like the one i was not ready for damn What's what's your favorite kill on it? I feel like okay, here's a here's a good one. This isn't a kill, but the good one is when the door opens and David Arquette comes out with the and like he stumbles out with a knife in his back. Mm-hmm. Like that's like a pretty classic moment where like mm-hmm. you think the person who's going to help you is there, and then they are completely like he's out of the fight at least after that. Now we are on to the part of the show that we are calling Peaches and Scream. Oh. <laughs> We are reviving our we are reviving our who would you date quiz from our uh, Greta Thun- wait not Greta Thunberg Greta Gerwig uh, series, and we are uh, going to say who from the Scream series would you date? Okay, so that's the thing. Realistically, <laughs> the person yeah. I would give my heart to, and uh-huh. not just my body. <laughs> <laughs> would probably be Dewey. I feel like he's the most dateable, like mm. with logic and not, mm. and like, you know, like on paper, good man, not a murderer, like most reliable, like he's, he is marriage material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone else can literally get it. Honestly, yeah, anyone else, anyone, anyone. But I think the marriage material is there with David Arquette. Wait, I don't know. I feel like we've covered it a lot already, but I feel like I would just fall prey to Billy. I'm just Damn. like such such a sucker for that. I like Tatum a lot too, but I don't think that Tatum would be very interested in me. Tatum reminds me a lot of Lena. I feel like she's a Gemini. I feel like she's my mm. best friend. I would like to be friends with Tatum. Mm-hmm. Emmett? Gosh, I gotta give it to Gail <laughs> Weathers. <laughs> I mean, no other. No other. Except I would like occasionally be like, oh, but I wonder what David Arquette's up to. Mm. It's the mustache. It's really the mustache. I think if uh, if Dewey didn't have that, it'd be very different. Yeah. He is just a little boy. Yes. You know, he's just a little puppy boy with a gun. Trying desperately to be seen as an adult Mm -hmm. by everyone around him. The moment where he's like, when they're sleeping at his house and he's like, all right, I'll be right next door. So you guys just try and get some sleep. And then like he calls and something is actually going on. And he like runs out in his boxers with a gun (laughs) like five minutes too late (laughs) when everything has already happened. All right, now, MVP, other than uh, the protagonist? Other than Sydney, I guess. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have been voted MVP anyway, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Most valuable, again, on paper, I think has to be Gail. She's mm. kind of, she provides that insight the way that, like, therapists do in movies, where the character is, like, forced to explain the whole 
the whole thing to you. They're forced to get it out of their minds and use words to explain and almost like spoon feed you the plot. But they do that without using a therapist. They use a news reporter, you know, like she's the only reason we know about, you know, what happened with the mom. That's how we know Mm. that she's put the wrong guy on death row. And she does move the movie. She does move the plot very well. Mm -hmm. Right. Mine would be Stu. Mm-hmm. I feel like without that performance, I would probably be like, oh, this movie is really well made and the meta stuff is interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think like that he is giving such a unique performance. Like one, that's what makes really the ideas of the movie stick in my head and like kind of, I don't know. I think it's kind of like a dual message. Like I think it is talking both to people who are blaming real life tragedies on scary movies and like, mm-hmm really reprimanding that and then also kind of talking to people who are like huge film nerds and think film is very important and kind of being like maybe it's actually not the most important thing Mm -hmm. and i think that like both of those live in Stu's character and like the fact that there is something that unique in this movie really sets it apart from anything else to me i mean the movie would be significantly less hot if he was not there and significantly less weird too yeah yeah and probably significantly more realistic, which I don't think would be a good thing right, for this movie. Yeah. Emmett, who's your MVP? I'm going to have to go with young Ulrich. I think he's matching Stu's over-the-topness, but in a different way. Mm. Like, he's over... The, like, while that guy's, like, over-the-top crazy, like, he's, like, over-the-top sinister. Mm-hmm. And sad boy, again, like, you don't believe it because it's so obvious that it's him. Right. And so you're like, it can't be him. This movie cannot be like, this movie is smarter than that. Therefore, like, it's not going to be the most obvious person. They take us all for fools. Take you for a fool. Anybody have any final thoughts on this? I love this movie. I love Pete Ulrich. I would suggest everyone watch it and then watch it again like a month later. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's probably the best timeline. So it's like fresh enough but you're also not like watching it immediately after. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the movies are really, really good. I'm really excited for you guys to watch them. I'm very excited. I am too, especially since we're going to be seeing Liev Schreiber more mm-hmm. in the next one. Oh, are we really? Oh, yeah. So I, maybe that's a future spoiler, but I know that's what the next one is about, is dealing with Cotton Weary, who is now proven innocent as a character in the second one. And the whole the whole nuances of everything being a movie continues very much. Mm. I have two final thoughts. One is that there's a Candyman reference in this movie. Oh, I think they're talking about Billy or about Sydney framing Billy, and they're like, "Yeah, you turned him into the Candyman." Oh, that's right. Oh, that's cool. That is right. Well, I'm glad I just took Candyman off the quiz list. Oh, <laughs> I just okay. found another movie. So <laughs> good. My final, final thought is that Stu, Stu's reason he states for framing Cotton is the same as our reason for doing this podcast. He says, watch some movies, take a few notes. It was fun. Absolutely. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. Emma, do you have any final thoughts? I just read in my research while putting together this quiz that Linda Blair, actress of Exorcist fame, Wow. Makes a cameo appearance as a reporter in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Which just adds, and like, much like, 
Wes Craven's own cameo in this film where he appears in Freddy Krueger garb as the janitor oh, of the school. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a weird little horror Easter egg, which uh-huh. are all over in this film. Mm-hmm. And that's a perfect segue for today's quiz, which I'm calling, Do You Like Horror Movies? Woo! I do. And it is going to be all movies that are made reference to in the original Scream. Oh God! Uh, okay. That's what like ties all of these things together here, um, and I am going to try and get you guys to guess them. Um, okay. Whoever guesses each one first gets the point. Um, there's ten movies. All righty. Whoa! Okay. I'm nervous. All right. All right. The first one. This is a 1984 horror thriller uh, slasher, I believe. A teenager who accidentally committed matricide finds himself being hunted together with his girlfriend and mates by his now crazed father. Uh, is it a British movie from the word mates? Oh, true. Yeah, his girlfriend and mates. Yeah, I guess it is a British show. It features a hook very prominently on the front of it. A hook? A hook. I don't a know. Like the, like the thing that they're being killed with is the hook, and it's not Candyman. Whoa. Okay. Would we have, is this like a popular movie? Would we have heard of this? Um, it's not one that I'd ever heard of. It says, okay. by sword, by picks, by axe, bye bye, is the tagline on the, on the poster here, which I think is pretty great. Is it called The Hook? No. Okay. Is it Rip. called The Axe Man? No, but it is written and directed by Buddy Cooper, if that helps at all. Unfortunately, uh, these are tough. You wanted us to lose. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. This I, we are starting with one of the harder ones okay. here. Um, we'll see what else. I heard it's, 84. I thought nightmare. Yeah, that's 84. But then not this. He is going to like screw these people up. So it's like a description of what the person is, is the title of the film. Like the killer. Yeah, exactly. Something like that, but not that. <laughs> Uh, you said you've never heard of it before yeah okay rip i'm gonna go let's say is it the hook man no okay think like the terminator oh okay the annihilator the hooker (laughs) these are good these are good these are quality quality submissions here terrifying i guess you're not not gonna get it the mutilator oh Uh, no no never all right all right next up here uh (laughs) 1974, uh, a classic film, truly disturbing. Five friends head out to rural area. Texas Chainsaw. Yep, (laughs) that is correct. You can continue the clue if you'd like, but. Next up, we've got. Uh, the 1977 film, an American newcomer to a prestigious German ballet academy comes to realize that this school is Suspiria? a front. Suspiria. That is correct. It is Suspiria. By, directed by Dario Argento, oh, who I yes. think is who I was talking about earlier. Yeah, Argento. I believe so. Shocked by the death of her spouse, a scheming widow hashes a bold plan to get her hands on the inheritance unaware that she is targeted by an axe-wielding murderer who lurks in the family's estate. What mystery shrouds the noble house? Directed, you're not going to believe this, (laughs) Francis Ford Coppola. Oh. Uh, 63? Yeah. And that's before Uh, Godfather. I have no clue. 
What's yeah? Okay, so there's there's a lot about this woman being dragged underwater. She's forgetting her past. There's a number involved in the title. This looks truly awesome. So there's a number in it. I'm gonna call it seven uh, murderers seven. The second wife. <laughs> well, that's good. Try dementia thirteen. Oh, it's called dementia thirteen. Mm-hmm. Dementia thirteen. Interesting. I have to watch it. Wow. All right. All right. Next up, we have 1992 neo noir erotic thriller. Ooh. By Paul Verhoeven. Is it Basic Instinct? It is Basic Instinct. That is correct. All right. Oof. There are four Sharon Stone references in this movie. Counted them all. Damn. They're like really stuck on Sharon Stone. Next up, a classic. 1980, Stan the Man Kubrick. Oh, The Shining? Shining. Yep, that's right. The Shining. (laughs) Nice. (gasps) All right, next up, 1991, American Psychological Horror, written by Ted Talley. Is American Psycho? No. It's about a young FBI trainee hunting a serial killer. Oh, Silence of the Lambs. Yep, almost. We're almost to the end here, and I hope you've been keeping track. Of Not at all. I'm going to say I won anyway, though. Yeah, I probably will as well. 1976, uh, Brian De Palma joint. Carrie? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Anyone seen Carrie? Mm-hmm. No, I have not. I've always been too afraid. It's so good. It's good. Do you like it, Emma? I'm sure that I would. If the question was, which of you would have lost the game and gotten murdered in this movie? The answer is both of you. (laughs) (laughs) Considering you started with the first one, neither one of us could answer it. Dead. On site. That's true. Well, Maggie, thanks so much for being here. It was a pleasure doing a spooky business with you both. Do you have any plugs um, or anything anywhere that people can find you you want to mention? Oh, absolutely. Uh, follow me on Instagram at maggie.jean. It is M-A-G-G-I-E dot J-E-A-N-E with an E at the end. And um, be nice. <laughs> Love each other. Watch scary <laughs> movies and talk about it with your friends. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Maggie's one of my favorite people on social media. She's so good on it. That is reciprocated. Emmett is like, okay. <laughs> Emmett's not often in. <laughs> Much if ever, so <laughs> I'll take it. Oh yeah, next week we'll be back with Scream Two. Very excited. And then in wait, how many? Forty-one weeks, I believe. Mm-hmm. We will be back with Jordan Peele's Nope. And until then, dear listener, stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week.